This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. A number of years ago, I preached this sermon at our church, and it's entitled, From Apathy to Amazement. You know, there's a problem in the church today, and Pastor Coles hit this on the nail today in one of our meetings, our breakout sessions, that one of the struggles we have in church today is, is an apathy. Christians are becoming apathetic. And, and we just, we're settled in where we're at, we're good where we're at, we're comfortable where we're at, it's convenient where we're at. Let's just leave, you know, as we used to say in Maine, brother, we used to say in Maine, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And right now it ain't broke, so let's leave it alone. And apathy sets in real quick. And uh, Pastor Hunter preached on the first part of this on Monday night. If you didn't get a chance to, to be there, you should log on and, and be able to watch that message. But he preached on the, the feeding of the 5,000. I'm not going to re-preach all of that, uh, but I want you to take your Bibles turn to the book of Mark, chapter number 6. I'm going to pick up right after that. In Mark, chapter 6, starting at verse number 45, it says, And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before into Bethsaida, while he sent the people away. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when he was come, and when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit, and he cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled, and immediately he talked with them and said unto them, Be of good cheer. And he went up, in, went up un, unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. And they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. I want us to talk first about apathy. Right before this, the day, the day before this, they had witnessed Jesus feed, the Bible tells us, 5,000 men plus women and children with five loaves and two fish, and took up 12 baskets of leftovers. And so, as I mentioned, Pastor Hunter preached on this Monday night. I'm just going to hit some, 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 some three things in there that we just need to point out. Number one, in verses 35 and 37, there was a critical need. There was a critical need. There's a critical need in our churches today. There's a critical need in our world today. It's astounding to me how many people I talk to that are in therapy or are dealing with discouragement or depression. And I'm not talking about people out in the world. I'm talking about people in our churches. I expect it out in the world. They've got no hope. But we're seeing it in our churches. But the world, they're just crying out for... How many times have you heard people say this? You just can't believe what what you see and read any longer. We all feel that way. But we hold in our hands the eternal truth. Pilate said to Jesus, what is truth? And it's standing right there. He is standing right there in front of them. Sanctify them through truth. Thy word is truth. And so, there's a critical need. In this situation, in this this passage, the critical need, the people had been there all day, and they were hungry. And they were trying to figure out how to feed them. Rough estimates anywhere from twenty to 35,000 people could have been there that day. It's a critical need. They've been there all day. Lord, we don't know what to do. So there's a critical need. 
Then there's the challenge from the Savior, verses 38 through 40. He tells the disciples, you take care of it. You do it. And they had been around Jesus long enough to know that they should have been able to to trust that he had something planned, but they're kind of looking around, shrugging their shoulders, saying, we don't know what to do. Should we turn him loose on the town? I mean, it'll destroy the town. There's not enough food around here to feed him. It would take at least a year's salary to feed all these people, and how are we going to get the food here in time? They were thinking from the physical aspect only. They never let their spiritual eyes take a look at this. They never once said, hey, Lord, what do you suggest we should do? They just looked at the situation. They panicked, as many of us do. And they tried to figure it out on their own. Well, we'll try to do this. We'll try to do that. And then one of them shows up. I think it was Andrew shows up with this basket of five loaves and two fish. And he says this in one of the guys. I think it's in John. He says, what is this among so many? There's There's just no faith. The men who should have known better. The men who have been around and seen what Jesus has been doing all the time they've been with him still did not think he had a solution to this problem. And I, I honestly believe that what happened that day led into what happened that night. There was a critical need. There was a challenge by the Savior. And then lastly, verse 41 through 44 there was a creation of abundance. The Lord took those five loaves and two fish, and he fed all those people, and they took up 12 baskets of leftovers. Should have blown their mind. They should have sat down and just been just speechless at what they saw. But we don't get any indication of that from the Bible. They clean up at the end of the day. They take the baskets up, and they're just kind of, we get the impression they're just kind of doing their stuff. And that leads us to the second part where we just picked up in verse 45. It leads to God's opening up the amazement of them. Too many times as Christians, we wallow around in apathy when we should be amazed. We should be amazed every day at what God does. Every single day, we should be amazed at what God does. So if you look, I want you to turn, keep it, stay here because we're going to stay in Matthew, I mean Mark in most of the time, but I want you to turn back to Matthew chapter 14, look at Matthew's account of this, because there's some things that Matthew points out uh, that we don't see in the book of Mark. Matthew chapter 14, starting at verse number 22. It says, And straightway Jesus constrained disciples to get into a ship and go before him on the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when even was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out in fear. But, Je- but straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. And Peter said unto him, Lord... This this next word is always troubling to me. If it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and began to sink and cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand, caught him, and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. I want to just stop there. I want you to notice 
number one, there was a contrary wind. There was a contrary wind. You know, Jesus sent them away. He said, go on before me. I'll catch up with you tomorrow. There's a couple of things that, that, that really stand out to me here. Number one, they never concerned themselves how Jesus was going to get over there. This is why I think they were just caught up in their own thing. Apathy had set in. They were not amazed any longer. They were just moving on from one thing to the next. Nobody ever said to him, Lord, how are you getting there? They just climbed in the boat and off they went. But Jesus sent them knowing a storm was coming. You know, Jesus wasn't up on the mountain praying, and the Lord said to him, and God said to him, hey, hey, son, you might want to pay attention. There's a storm in the sea. Your guys are out there. They're going to be in trouble. Jesus knew the storm was coming. He knew it, and he sent them there anyway. You know, sometimes Jesus sends us into the storm. We think that we, all our life should be wonderful. We think everything should be perfect. We think everything should go along smoothly. I'm a Christian. These things shouldn't happen to me. I mean, God's my father. All, all the blessings of the world. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Why am I struggling? Why am I having trouble with my health? Why am I having financial difficulties? Why is it my family falling apart? Why are these things going on? This shouldn't happen to me. But sometimes Jesus sends us out into the storm. And the interesting thing in all of this, the disciples, they're alone in the storm. Where was Jesus? He's praying. He's praying for them. He's praying for what just happened that day and and the people that were affected by that. He's praying. He knows what's going on. He's praying, I believe, for them to succeed in this trial. Now, let's just take a look, if we can, for a minute, of this trial. There's a crying, there's a contrary wind, and then there's a crying out, verse 48 and 50, back in, in Mark, chapter, uh, Mark chapter 6. It says that when he saw them toil, or toiling and rowing, and the wind was contrary unto them, and about the fourth watch of the night, he came walking upon the sea, and would have passed by. When they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit, and they cried out. Matthew says that they were in fear. You know, fear causes us to do a lot of things we don't normally do. We just come off of two years in our country where national fear took over. And fear can make us do some really, really bizarre things. But the disciples, t- t- just travel with me with this on a minute. You have four out of the 12 men, at least four out of the 12 men in that boat are experienced sailors. Pastor Hunter was telling a story today about kayaking and he fell over and there were sharks in the water. And I'm thinking to myself, I wonder what any of the sailors in that room were thinking at that point. If you're out on the ocean with with sailors, they they know what to do. They know what to do. A storm comes up, they know what to do. You have four, at least four of them, are professional sailors and fishermen. They've fished this sea before. They've They've experienced these storms before. And they're terrified. I appreciate Brother Brown praying for us to have safety coming down here. You didn't mention going back. (laughs) Pastor Hunter's leaving tomorrow. I'm leaving on Friday. If I'm sitting in the airplane and all of a sudden the cockpit door flies open and the pilot comes coming out yelling, this is terrible, we're all going to die. Guess what? I'm afraid. You see Peter, John, James, and Andrew afraid and you know this is their livelihood? This is what they do. They've experienced this before. You know you're in trouble. You know we're not getting to the other side. But here's what they forgot. What did Jesus tell them? 
I'll see you on the other side. What did, what did David say? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. Jesus said, I'll see you on the other side. So why are they fearful? Why are we fearful when it comes to the storms of life? We act like this is, we're the only ones that have ever faced anything like this. We act like this is unique to us. You have no idea. Pastor, you have no idea what I'm going through. Like, this is all of a sudden invented just for you. I'm not minimizing. Please understand, I'm not minimizing the struggles we go through. Some of us have been through some very, 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 very difficult times. As some of you may know, for the years past I've been here, for many years I was estranged from my, my siblings because of things that happened within the church. Recently, at least my sister and I have reconciled and it all boiled down and my brother-in-law got COVID and, and died. And I was able to reconcile, we were all able to reconcile before that happened. I was the last person to talk to him before he went on a ventilator. And we had a sweet time of, of, of reconciliation and prayer. And since then, my sister and I have, have really reconciled, come back together, and, and have really, right before I left, we had a, a, a family picnic together, and we were able to bring all the kids and grandkids together. But we were talking, and she, I was out on the porch grilling some, some burgers and dogs, and nobody was out there but me, and she came in, and she closed the, pat, the porch door. And I knew she wanted to talk. She says, it's really been hard. She said, I love the Lord, and I'm trying to find a way to serve him. It's been hard. She goes, I, I rolled over the other night, and Wayne wasn't there. It's been hard. I was talking with my niece. She moved in with her with her husband and kids to kind of ease the, the, the pain a little bit and let, let the house be so empty and I was talking with my niece a little bit before that, and she said, oh, mom's doing well. And I said, Court, yeah, mom's, your, sister, your mother's doing really well. But don't forget, she goes to bed alone every night and wakes up alone every morning. You don't see that part. It's hard. We go through difficult times, don't we? Not minimizing that at all. But we serve a God who's the God of all comfort. The Father of mercies. the throne of grace. We need to depend on that. We need to trust on that. We can't be fearful. We can't let the storm control us. We need to allow God to get us through the storm and bring us to the other side. They were crying out. They were filled with fear. Fear is the great disabler of the Christian and one of the devil's most effective tools. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 if you turn over there for a minute, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 7. Paul writes this. He said, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Isn't that interesting? Fear takes away our sound mind. It causes us to do things we normally wouldn't do. To think things we normally wouldn't think. To act in ways we normally wouldn't act. There are other verses, time's running away. 1 John 4, 18, Psalm 56, 3, Isaiah 12, 2. 
They were reacting out of their flesh and did those things that were humanly possible and humanly reasonable. They're toiling and rowing. Why don't they just pull the oars in and say, the Lord told us we're going to be on the other side. Let's just rely on him. On top of that, only a few hours before all of this happens, they saw Jesus do a supernatural event. Jump down to the end there in verse number 52. It says, for they considered not the miracle. They considered it not. Which leads me to my, to my next point. They considered not. They were so hardened to, to the Lord's leading that when he's walking on the ocean or on the sea to them, they don't even recognize him. They have no idea who he is. They think it's a ghost. And the reason why I read Matthew to you is because I wanted to point out something about Peter. Peter finally steps up. And he said, Lord, if it's you, come, bid me to come unto you. Now, we get, we get hard on Peter, don't we? Oh, well, Peter, Peter sunk in the water. But you know what? He walked on the water. Anybody here ever walk on water? I never have. I believe Peter holds the world record for water walking. And he started to, you know what, you know what ran through Peter's mind? Hey, we're in a storm. Safest place for me to be is near Jesus. I want to be near Jesus. He's standing up. He's safe in the storm. That's where I want to be. You know, we, we criticize Peter, but he's taking some good steps there. He climbs out of the boat and he begins to walk. But then his human side takes over. Guess what happens? He looks at the things around him. He looks at the waves. He looks at the wind. And he starts to take his eyes. When his eyes are on the Lord, he's walking on the water. When his eyes are on the wind, he's sinking in. And I want you to picture this. Here he is going down. Lord, save me. Jesus, who's standing, he's standing on the water, reaches down. So not only did he walk on the water, but he's reaching down to pull up a grown man out of the water. He has no leverage as far as we can, as humanly we would say, is that he's standing on water. He pulls them, he pulls him up. And the Bible says that they go into the boat, and the storm ceased. Now, that word ceased is an interesting word. It doesn't mean it slowed down and eventually stopped. It means it immediately came to a stop. I lived near the ocean. When I was a child, I, I spent a lot of time on the ocean. I used to work at a, a, a boat yard where uh, we had luxury sailboats and, and yachts and whatnot come in, and I spent a lot of time on the ocean uh, working in the, on the boats, building docks and all that. The, the ocean can be, even in its calmest day, can still be pretty rough. The word ceased means it came to a complete and total stop. The water was like a piece of glass. It was perfectly still. And the Bible says that, and when the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed. Now they're amazed. They should have been amazed all along. If they had been amazed, if we're amazed at the work of God every single day, if we're amazed at how we get up in the morning and we're able to, to function through the day, maybe not like we used to, 
maybe not at the capacity that we could at one time. We have a, a man in our church who served in Vietnam, and from being exposed to the chemicals and whatnot over there, he's dying of cancer. It's eating his inside out. I talked to him the other night, and I said, Mike, how you doing? He's down to 120 pounds. He's six foot four. He said, Pastor, I'm just looking to go to heaven. It took, he, has, he struggles with PTSD. He's got all kinds of... It took us two years to even get the opportunity to share the gospel with him. And then when we got him to a finally point to share the gospel, when he made a profession of faith, it was another two years before he'd come to church. He didn't want to be around people. He's going through some hard times. He's going through some difficulties. And he says, Pastor, can I ask you a question? And here's a question I think all of us pastors have been asked and we don't have an answer to. Why am I still here? I can't do anything. I can't leave the house. Why hasn't God taken me? And the only answer I could give him was, Mike, God's still got a plan for you. I don't know what it is. I mean, maybe because he calls me two or three times a week, maybe his plan is for you just to be around a little longer to encourage me. I don't know. We can't question God. But when you finally meet him, you'll know. In fact, it's not even going to be a concern. You're going to be so excited about being in the presence of our Lord and Savior. They were so amazed. Maybe if they were amazed at the beginning, they wouldn't have been here. The last thing I want to mention real quick, and take your Bibles, and we're going to end in, in, in Psalms chapter number 91. Psalm chapter number, my son-in-law always corrects me. He says, Pastor Tim, it's not Psalms, it's Psalm. Psalm 91. I just want to read a few verses here. And I, the last thing I want to talk about, we talked about apathy, moving to amazement, which should lead us to an allegiance to God. Psalm 91, look at, look at what it says. It says, and he dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High. I'm sorry, he's, it says, he that dwelleth in the, in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in him will I trust. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler, from the noisome pestilence, he shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust his truth. Shalt thou trust his truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid of for the terror of night, nor of the arrow that flieth by the day, nor of the, for the pestilence that walketh in the darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked, because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high, thy habitation. Quickly, three things. We need to, number one, verses one and two, we need to have a confidence in God. We need to have a confidence in God. I, I don't know what your struggles are. You don't know what my struggles are. The fact is we all have them, and if you don't have one right now, it's coming. And it's going to test the confidence we have in God. What's our confidence in God? The writer of this psalm, he's my refuge, he's my fortress. Philippians 1.6 says, he's doing the work in us. All we have to do is provide the vehicle upon which he'll do the work. But it's Jesus that's performing it, not us. He is my God, he says. In him will I trust. 
Second thing I want you to notice, not only is there confidence in God, but there's a continuing of trust in verses 3 and 4. He will deliver thee. He shall cover thee. Hebrews 10, 35, if you turn back there, Hebrews 10, chapter, 30, chapter 10, verse 35, says this. It says, cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. Why is it over the last two years we've, we've heard all about science? I'm not here, listen, I'm not here to criticize anybody's philosophy. Our position at our church is whatever you want to do is between you and God and your doctor. We're not going to question anything. We're not going to take a stand on any of those issues. But I want to say right now, I got tired of hearing about the science because my faith is in God. Our confidence is in God. God created the science. So why are we going to believe the creation more than we believe the creator? Our confidence is in him. Cast it not away. The only way we lose our confidence is by giving it up. They're not going to take it from me. I give it up. Cast it not away. We are to remain under his protection. And then verses 5 through 9, and this is a message I could spend all night talking about and I'm not going to, contentment. Contentment. Look at what he talks. These things he mentions here in, in... and Psalm 91, and they're pretty, they're pretty rough things. Look at what he says. The terrors by night, the pestilence in the dark, that walk in the darkness, for the destruction that wasteth not away. A thousand shall fall at thy side, ten thousand at thy right hand. That's pretty rough stuff. Pastor Hunter preached on 2 Corinthians this morning. Hey, Paul went through some pretty hard times. We think we got it bad. Read 2 Corinthians. He never gave up. Well, Pastor Paul was special. He was an apostle. No, he was. I mean, he was, but there's nothing special about him. He just loved the Lord. He had a greater love for the Lord than he did for self. And we need to understand that's where our confidence comes from, having trust in him. Verse 9 starts the discord on the grounds of safety from the previous verses. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high, thy habitation. God does not remove the difficulties. He just preserves us through them. We would call that contentment. Hebrews 13.5, and I'll close with this, is a verse we all are familiar with. At least the back half of this verse we're familiar with. The front half of this verse we often look, overlook. 13.5 says, Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, for nor forsake thee. Now, we like the last part of that verse. He will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. There we go, we're all set. But the front half of that verse, be content. Don't be covetous. Be content with what you have. Be content where God has you. Be content in your job. Be content in your church. Be content with your life. Be content in your family. Be content in your home. Bible, Paul tells Timothy, godliness plus contentment is great gain. Be content. When we're content, 
it all falls into place. Had Peter been content on that water, kept his eyes on the Lord, he'd have made it all the way there. And who knows? The Lord may have just rushed them right to the sore and brought them all in. Peter took his eyes. He wasn't content to trust the Lord. He put his, his eyes on the wind, the waves, the, the rocking boat, screaming disciples. He put it all there, and he began to sink. How many times have we done the exact same thing? We get hard on Peter, but let's realize he, you know, the best of men are men at best, right? We all fall and pray to that. We've all taken our eyes off the Lord and put them on the things around us. And it doesn't matter if we're a missionary or a pastor or a deacon, Sunday school teacher. We're all, every one of us, if we proclaim to know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior and we're a child of God, we all struggle with this. We need to learn to be amazed. Let's be amazed with the Lord. And when amazement sets in, boy, I tell you, you'll see things in a whole new light. Man, you'll be starting to... And you'll, I, 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 we live in a very rural community, very rural community, farming community. Uh, a lot of cows, a lot of corn, a lot of stuff there. I've lived in this community, well, for the, minus the eight years I lived in Maine. I'm 57 years old, so I've lived there almost my whole entire life. I've driven down this road that I go to work many, 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 thousands of times. And every once in a while, I'll notice something I never saw before. I'll say, where did that come from? That's what amazement does to us. All of a sudden, we start noticing things. I didn't know God did that. I didn't know God would help me here. Boy, I, now I see. I can trust God. And that, content, and that amazement settles in. Let's be amazed. Let's not be apathetic. Let's be amazed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again this evening for the power of your word. It is so powerful. But Father, sometimes we lose sight of that power because of what's going on around us. Teach us to be amazed at everything. Big things, little things. Things that are important, things that aren't important. Teach us to be amazed in thee. And when we are, or everything changes. We have confidence in you. We have contentment with you. We have trust in you. So, Father, help us. Teach us these things. We ask in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.